You could turn with me, if you will, uh, to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, and if you have a, a, a physical Bible, you can keep your finger there, and then turn over to 1 John chapter 4. They're pretty close. But through this series, we're going to have a dual, um, dual text for this series. 1 Peter chapter 4, let's go ahead and stand as we read God's Word this morning. Our series is called All in the Family, and family is all about love. So these two passages are going to be talking about love. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. In the first John 4, verses 18 and 19, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. Maybe seated. We could, we could just plant a flag here and just take those two passages and pull them apart and look at them and dissect them and just point out some amazing truths there. In the first Peter passage, I love verse 8, maintain constant love for one another. This is such a challenge in a family, especially such a challenge in a marriage. Strong families begin with a strong marriage. And it's such a, such a challenge in a, strong, in, a, in a marriage to maintain constant love for each other. Why? <laughs> As Peter wrote this, I, could, I can imagine what he was thinking in his mind. Geez, we're going to screw up. So we need to maintain constant love for each other because that love will cover a multitude of sins, a multitude of screw-ups, a multitude of mistakes. And then in the first John passage, there's no fear in love, making sure that we are loving out of love and not fear. There's so much you can go into when you're talking about fear versus love and the combination and the dysfunctionality that is wrapped up in those who love and yet fear that love. Then the end of it, we love because he first loved us. As we go into this series, I'm going to be, I'm going to give a disclaimer right up front, okay? This is going to be very pointed and it's going to be very difficult for many people, especially those of you who are younger, to take in. I would ask simply, what I usually ask when we get to series like this, that you just come to it with an open mind and an open heart. Because I believe what we're going to be covering in this series on the family is vital for your life, for your home, and for our church that we accept these biblical truths, this is not gonna be my opinion, okay? It's, I'm not gonna be preaching my opinion. I try never to do that, uh, and if I do, I always tell you it's my opinion, okay? So I don't want, I'm not gonna be preaching my opinion, but I'm not gonna be, <laughs> I'm jumping ahead of myself. Just please, have an open heart and an open mind as we get into this. In this series, we're gonna be talking about the family, the biblical, family. Our point of reference for our insight will be the Bible. 
We may share quotes or thoughts from Christian men and women about their view of biblical family, but we, aren't, uh, but we won't be taking up the worldly view of you outside of biblical teaching. Understand that. What has happened today in the church and therefore in many families, in many individual lives, is the world and the mentality of the world has crept in. And we have bought into worldly thinking about relationships, about family, about roles in the family, about many different things. And what it has done is poisoned the well of our minds when it comes to what a biblical Christian family is supposed to be. We are, uh, we're going to be using the Bible. We're not going to be using anything out. We're not going to be using the worldly view to define what a family is or explain how it is, how it functions, and how it operates. We'll be looking at the Bible for the purpose of a family, roles within a family. Yes, I said that out loud, roles within a family. And the impact of a fam that a family should have on the church and how a family should be impacted by its church. Another important point that I need to make up front, I, ho I hope everybody here is listening, and I hope those of you who are watching online really pay attention to what I'm about to say. This is about, this is a series about Christian families. Christian families, okay? Families that desire to have God and His Word as the central influence in their home and relationships and desire to serve as a family within a local church. That's what this series is about. This is not a series. Now, once again, pay attention. I think these are all up on the screen. These, I, I wanted these to have an impact, so I think I put them on the screen as well. This is not a, a series to debate societal attitudes about family, although we may discuss that at times. It's not a series to go to war with anyone about the definition of marriage and a family. Okay, we're not going, well, this, is not, this is not Pastor John taking on the societal view of marriage. It's not what this is about. This is not new life uh, claiming, declaring war on the societal view of marriage. That's not what this is about. This is about the biblical view of family, the biblical teaching of the family, okay? Now before you panic, just listen. Listen to what I have to say because as I prayed about this and as I, I prepared this sermon, as I prepared myself for it, there were a lot of times I, I took prayer drives or I took walks or I just sat and, and prayed and I said, God, is that what you want? You've gotta give me a piece about that because this is important, and I know it's going to, it's going to ruffle some feathers, no doubt about it. Now, I don't back away from that stuff. If you've been in this church any length of time, you know that I don't back away from those things. But I also don't intentionally try to hurt people's feelings. I don't intentionally try to cause trouble or try to dig at people and try to make people feel bad. What I try to do is preach what the Word of God has to say. And as we go through this, I'm telling you, especially the younger generation, you're not going to like a lot of what I have to say in this series. Some of you. 
Okay, I, I know that up front. And some of you older ones, you're gonna feel that way. <laughs> All I ask is that you listen and pray about it and really ask God to open up your heart and give you discernment about his word, okay? Not about my words, about his word. Because if we are going to be talking, about, as, and as we are, going to be talking about the biblical model of a family, and if that's truly what we want, then we can't play games with what society has to say. We can't allow the dysfunctional, and yes, I said the dysfunctional thinking of society, especially the American society, about marriage, family, all these things, to creep in. We're gonna cover everything, please. I know not every family is the cleavers. And even families that, even families that aren't the traditional nuclear family are still incredibly functional and godly families and great homes. That's not, the, the point is not to, to beat up people because they are not Ward and June. The point is to find out what the Bible has to say about relationships within a home, relationships within a marriage, raising children, and even, we're even gonna be talking about disciplining children. Now, I, I don't tell you, I, I know there were, there are some, there's some pastors that used to be in this area that actually used to go and discipline children in homes of family members. Don't ever, please, I'm telling you, man, don't ever call me to come and spank your child. That ain't ever gonna happen. After I get done hilariously laughing at you on the phone, I'll give you a flat no. That's not my role, that's my job, that's not my desire, okay? But I also know that the Bible teaches that we need to discipline our children. Discipline, we're not, I'm not gonna go on this rabbit trail now, but discipline takes different forms for different kids, okay? We're talking about principles, all right? Now, this is not a series to draw a line in any sand about, raise, about child raising or marriage vows or living arrangements. It's not what this is about, okay? Please, believe me, that's not what this series is about. I'm not here to just destroy and blow up people's homes and, and tell people how bad they are. That's not what this is about. I'm not here to debate. Society, that's not my job, that's not my role, that's not my job. You have little, you have no idea how little I want to talk about the mentality of the world when it comes to family. I want to know what the Bible has to say. That's where my, that's where I'm at, that's my standard, and that's what we're going to be preaching. Okay? <clears throat> this is a series to lay out the biblical definition of a family, the biblical roles within a family, God's purpose and intention for the family, and how we as followers of Jesus need to align ourselves or change our perspective to get our homes straight as Christian families. That's a challenge. There are times when you need to look at the word and look at your life, just like your individual walk with the Lord. There are times when you've veered off course and you have to say, Okay, and, and maybe in your devotions, or maybe in a message, or you're listening to a podcast, or you're having a conversation with a friend, and somebody says something that strikes your heart. Is that ever, you don't have to raise your hand, but has that ever happened to you? 
happens to me, and you say, whoops, course correction. I have to get back on track now. Sometimes that's what we need in our families as well. We've gotten so involved in the business of living and, ex and existing, especially this last year. I think this last year has been one of the greatest challenges to Christian families uh, because we've been with each other constantly. Sociologists expect the divorce rate to skyrocket once society opens up again. You understand that, right? I, I, I'm reading about that. I'm trying to prepare myself for it. But sociology, sociologists are expecting the divorce rate to skyrocket because people couldn't get divorced during corona because of the court systems. But after the courts open up, they're expecting divorce filings to go crazy. DCF, I, in my support group meeting, the supervisor of the Springfield, of the, the, the Western Region Adoption Unit, told me that DCF is gearing up to remove children as soon as the, as soon as the, um, as soon as uh, the coronavirus is over and society opens up and as soon as kids start going back to school. Because teachers haven't seen, teachers, school bus drivers, anybody involved in the school system hasn't seen these kids for a year. And now after a year, they're going to be seeing these kids again and they're gonna be seeing the results of being locked down with their parents for a year. I also need you to understand this. While there is a biblical normal description of a family, now after saying everything I just said, and I know a lot of people might have gotten on edge, you might have gotten discouraged, you might have gotten offended, you might have said, well, this isn't gonna be for me, I can't believe he's talking about this stuff, and I don't fit that mold. My family, out through no fault of my own, my family isn't the perfect biblical model family. You know what, can I just give you a clue here? Mine isn't either. I'm a, my, my, my home is a blended family. My oldest son, Zach, has a biological mother and he has a stepmother because my first marriage ended after 29 and a half years. But just because my first marriage ended and I got married again doesn't mean that I throw everything away and just give up. It means that at this second marriage, and the second round of children is one that I have to work as hard at to make functional and biblically solid and sound as the first one. In fact, as I give you the biblical definition of a family and the biblical example, the, the, the biblical perfect model, we're gonna find that a large, a, a large portion of families in church don't meet that, don't, don't meet that definition yet they're still families. So I wanna give you some understanding about families that the Bible talks about, okay? While there, is, while there is a biblical normal description of a family, and there always has to be, there has to be a baseline. There has to be a general standard, okay? The Bible also talks about other family groups than just their traditional nuclear family. How many of you heard of Timothy? Timothy was, Paul, was, Tim, was Paul's son in the faith. Paul wrote first and second Timothy to Timothy. Timothy was an amazing man of God who went around and pastored churches and raised up 
pastors in the churches and then moved on to the next one. Timothy gave his life to service. Did you know that Timothy's father was not in the picture? Timothy was raised by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Jesus, our Savior, was the adopted son of Joseph. You realize that, right? Jesus was adopted. I tell Gabriel and Michael that all the time, man. Jesus was adopted. They think that's pretty special. And not only was Jesus adopted, but Jesus had half-brothers because Joseph and Mary had children, natural biological children. And at some point in the lifetime of that family, most scholars believe, because if you've ever noticed, after, after Jesus is, is uh, after the, uh, Jesus goes to the temple, you know, when he was 12, they go to the temple, and Jesus could, the, his parents can't find him, right? And they're looking all over the place. And finally, they go back to Jerusalem, they find Jesus in the temple, confusing and confounding the elders. And they said, where have you been, son? We've been going crazy. Can you imagine Mary? I mean, there were no milk cart. You couldn't put a picture on a milk carton back then, but they would have, looking all over for him. And he looks at me and says, of course I'm going to be about my father's business. But at that point, from that point on, we don't hear anything about Joseph. We hear about Mary. We don't hear about Joseph. In fact, at the cross, remember Mary, Jesus' mother, was at the cross, right? She saw Jesus die. She saw him crucified. And what did Jesus say to John? Take her in. Be her son now. Why? Because Joseph apparently was out of the picture. Apparently Joseph had died at some point. So Mary was a single mom raising Jesus and his siblings. So you see, I'm not trying to say that if you are not the nuclear family, the, the perfect definition, that you're not a family and therefore not worthwhile. Because Jesus himself came from a blended family, earthly family, and his mother had to finish the job as a single mom. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, apparently, they were brother, they were uh, siblings, apparently they lived together as a sibling group without parents in the home. Naomi was a widow, in the, and she took her daughter-in-law Ruth, also a widow, into her home after her son died. The widow of Zarephath raised her son alone while ministering to the prophet Elijah. Raised, raised him as a single mom. The widow that Jesus pointed out of the treasury who gave a mite for, a, for an offering is remembered to this day for her powerful display of faith in God's provision, even though she lived alone after the death of her husband. So while there is a biblical model to build from, that's not the way life works, right? Life is different, life is difficult. Things happen as the saying goes, life happens. What we are going to do in this series is look at the biblical principles that are laid out for the family and adapt them to our situation, hopefully, I'll, I'll, I'll jump ahead just a little bit and give you a little peek behind the curtain. 
single moms, just because there's no father in the home doesn't mean your home is going to be a failure. What it means is you as a single mom need to be creative and find a way to get a, a pre, the presence or the influence that a father would bring into your home. Sometimes that means being mom and dad at the same time. If, if, there's, if you have mothers and fathers in the home and, the, and, and those, those two parents are operating as solid Christian parents, that's a blessed home. And that's a, that's a home that works together and, and it's great. But if there's only one parent, you've got to pick up the slack. And we'll talk about that as we go on. The list could go on and on about families in the Bible and has, how God has used different people and different circumstances in life to accomplish his purpose and to fulfill his plan. We aren't going to, be, to debate that. And it's not my intention to make anybody feel less than. Understand that as well. I'm not here to make anybody feel less than. I may use my own life. My own, the reason I use my own life and personal experiences when I speak, first of all, is because that's who I am. I believe, that peop, I, I believe that's easier to connect with. Secondly, I don't, <laughs> I don't offend somebody else if I use myself, <laughs> okay? And thirdly, it's the easiest point of reference I have, and it's what God has laid on my heart. There are pastors who don't believe you should ever refer to yourself in a sermon. You should never make it personal. Listen, our faith has got to be personal. Therefore, I think you should see it from me and hear it from me. That's just my take. We're not going to be, uh, it's not my intention to make anybody feel less than, simply because they don't fit the definition of a nuclear family. But it is clear that the Bible discusses the family and it defines roles within that family. And if we want to build a household of faith that will honor God, build strong children, foster strong marriages, and be an asset to the local church, then we will need to approach this series with open minds and open hearts and open Bibles. Let me give you a very broad definition of family. <laughs> a family is a group of two or more uh, related people related by birth, marriage, or adoption who reside together. And that's, <laughs> that's an overly broad, very broad definition of family, and you can, there's all kinds of tangents that go out from that. That's a, a very broad definition of family. And that's kind of... Our, our base camp where we're going to start working from. Because I believe no matter what family situation you find yourself in, I, I believe that no matter what condition your home is in, no matter what the situation, I believe the Bible still applies, and the Bible can help everybody's family in the situation they find themselves in. Even families who are split where kids live in two different homes because of divorce. I believe the Bible clearly can teach us how we can overcome those obstacles and still raise godly children, raise up a god, be, be godly parents, and influence the kingdom of God and be an asset to our local church. Now, there is one group I'm going to be particularly pointed on through this, and that is fathers. Okay, I believe that, I believe that, I'll just, I'll lay this right out for you, right from the jump. I believe that many of the problems we have in society today are because of the lack of fathers in the home. 
No question about it, no doubt in my mind. So having said, and, and we're going to be talking, we're going to be talking about that. Having said that, let me give you some statistics to back up the absentee father principle, or the absentee father thesis that, uh, that is out there. Today's Christian teen, this is a, a survey done by the Barna organization, Christian organization. They interviewed Christian teenagers from active Christian homes. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about what an active Christian was, gave the definition of an active Christian. An active Christian is someone who knows Jesus as their Savior, has an evangelical view. They believe that they believe the Bible is true. They believe they have a responsibility to share their faith, and they are active in their local church, which means they attend their local church. This survey was done from, was done with teenagers from active Christian families, okay? I think some of these statistics might surprise you. 85% of all Christian teenagers said they eat more meals with their mom than anyone else in the house. 81% watch TV or movies with mom more than anyone else. 70% talk about God more with mom in the house than anyone else. 63% have confrontation. A lot of you moms will identify with this one. 63% of, of teenagers from Christian homes have confrontations with mom more than anyone else in the house. I know in my home that's true, but I think that's because I do look like a criminal and my boys are afraid of me. You can reference Zach. If <laughs> okay. 69% say they text their mom more than anyone else. They text their mom more than anyone else, more even than their friends. Okay? 61% say they call their moms more than anyone else. My boy, my two youngest sons wouldn't be able to be in, in this survey because my boys, my two youngest boys won't have phones until they're 40. As far as support goes, 78% of all Christian teens from active Christian homes go to their mom for advice. 75% go to their mom for encouragement. 72% go to their mom for sympathy. However, 74% go to their dad for money. 63% go to their dad for logistical help, problem solving. As for questions about faith, this is where I'm so thankful, and this is, not, this is not degrading moms, please don't get me wrong. This is where I say moms have stepped up and stepped in, and where fathers are failing, okay? So that's, understand, that's the lens that I'm looking at this from. As far as questions about faith go, 72% go to their mom with questions about faith. 71% go to their mom with questions about the Bible. 78% go to their mom with things that are troubling them. 63% say that their mom is their foremost partner in prayer. 70% say their mom is their foremost partner in conversations about God. 71% say their mom is their foremost partner in conversations about the Bible. 72% say their mom is their foremost partner with other questions about faith. 79% say their mom is the encourager on church attendance. 
66% say their mom is the one who teaches them about the Bible. 66% say that their mom taught them about God's forgiveness. 72% say that their mom teaches them about religious traditions. Nowhere in this survey was there a significant number of teenagers that said their father did those things. I praise God for godly moms. My mom, oh, you, mo most of you know my mother. My mother is my, I, I now, Zach will remember uh, Dr. Adrian from the church we went to down in Missouri. He always called her his sainted mother. And I know why, because now I can call my mom, my mom is my sainted mother. She's just a wonderful, godly woman that I had the privilege to be raised by. But I'll tell you what, my dad was there. Even when my mom, even when my dad was on cruises for the Navy, six months away, my dad would call, because he worked in the commo shack. He'd always give us a phone call. My dad was always there. When he came home, he was always there to ask questions. My dad was my mentor in faith. My mom was as well. They worked together as a team. But the problem with the modern fan, the modern active Christian family, is that when it comes to matters of faith and church, the dad isn't even relevant in the vast majority of homes. Do you see a problem there? Because I sure do. The Bible didn't, the, the, God did not create the family so that one person could carry the load. In certain situations, that has to be. In single parent homes, you don't have a choice. But that's also where the church comes in, and we'll cover that. But in homes where both parents are, the, the home has, has two parents, two, a mother and a father, and they're active in church, there are specific roles and responsibilities, and the, the family is supposed to work together to raise a child in godliness. As we can obviously see from these numbers, Christian moms are carrying the spiritual load in Christian homes. Let me make this blunt observation. That's out of balance and dysfunctional and not at all the way God intended it to be. Say that again. That's out of balance, that's dysfunctional, and that's not at all the way God intended it to be. Gentlemen, God has called you. If God has blessed you to be a father, God has called you to be a father. It's a calling to be a godly father. You push that responsibility off on your wife, you're going to answer to God for it. That's just point blank and personal. Now, there's nothing wrong with strong spiritual godly mothers. And I pray, I, I, man, I, I'll tell you what, I believe single moms need to give two Mother's Days really do because the the role you play and the job you do in your home is unbelievable unbelievable and i don't think the church can support enough single parent homes where it's a single mom trying to raise children especially single moms raising boys some of you some of you women who are raising sons with a husband with with a father in the home can you imagine trying to raise your child as a single mom your son as a single mom, or your sons for some of you, it's, it'd be tough. I thank God for godly moms who are solid examples of Christ-like behavior to their children. Those numbers are so out of balance that it's almost discouraging. 
it could be discouraging if we just looked at the numbers and didn't want to interpret them in some other way. Where are the fathers? I'll tell you where they are. They're at home working on a project. Did you know that Father's Day is the least attended day in, in, of the year in church by fathers? Let me tell you, gentlemen. I'm, I'm just going to tell uh, Listen, I, I got no problem saying this. Don't really care if you like it or not. We all get along. We have fun. I hope you guys like me. But I'm telling you, you plan an outing on Father's Day away from church, you're in sin. Moms, don't you dare plan a Father's Day outing that takes your husband out of church. Especially on Father's Day. You need to proudly take your family to church. We got a, a young man who's got a, a brand new baby. Just bare, not, even, not even 60 days in this world, right? What better way for, to celebrate the very first Father's Day than to proudly bring his child less than one year old to church and begin that, that tradition, if, if, if circumstances allow, to bring his child to church. And even though little Ian won't understand it, that is all, the foundation is already being laid. Where else are fathers? They're at work chasing the dollar. They're on the golf course, or they're fishing, or they're relaxing in somebody's man cave with the boys. Many of today's Christian fathers don't have time for church or their children's faith education because they have their priorities off. Gentlemen, as a father, if anything comes before you being a godly example of faith and practice to your children, especially to your sons, your priorities are off. And you need a dose of the scriptures to get it right. That is your responsibility. Live in a smaller house if it means raising your children in a godly manner. We have a generation of fathers, many of whom were raised without fathers themselves in the home, or without a strong godly influence of a father in the home. What we're seeing is the harvest of dysfunctional homes and the lack of biblical manhood being taught and modeled both in homes and in churches. Listen, I'm not saying every boy needs to love baseball, although that would be a great start. Okay, of course, of course. I, you might notice I'm not moving as much up here today. I'm leaning on the table. That's because baseball season started and I, uh, I threw batting practice and then Lewis can, can uh, testify to this. I caught all the pitchers yesterday. And uh, when it came time to catch for Gabriel and Michael Chase, who throw the ball pretty, pretty hard, I was there. But then Joao came up. Joao actually won the pitching competition, threw more strikes in seven pitches than anybody else. It kind of kind of made my hip feel, it's, my hip is hurting today. I'll tell you what, I'll do it again tomorrow. I'll do it again all year long if I have to, so that my boys can see their dad involved in their lives. You can ask Zach, I was there for him all the time. 
all the time. Even, not only do you have to be there, we also balance that out by being in church. Gentlemen, your role is so vital in the life of your children. You cannot abdicate that. They don't have to love sports. Maybe you don't love sports. That doesn't matter. They need a godly male influence in their lives if they are gonna grow up to be a, a godly, functional man. That's why we put so much, so much emphasis on our men's ministry. In place of those godly fathers' examples, will, will, women have tried to fill the void as best they can. And you're doing a great job. But there's no substitute for a solid, solid godly father. There just is no substitute. There are things that only a man of God can teach to his son. And without that teaching, boys grow into manhood hamstrung already behind the curve. And who steps in? I had IEP meetings with, for, for my sons this past week, and because of their history, everybody has an opinion. And the school special ed teacher's like, I would encourage you to get, you know, to, to have your boys, have a, have a you know, maybe, maybe find a counselor, maybe find a psychiatrist they can talk with. Like, is that just, I'm glad that's just your opinion. I made it very clear to her, I can do that. <laughs> I could be very blunt with a smile on my face. I said, yeah, that's not gonna happen. Uh, I said, my boys have parents and my boys have a big brother who is a godly example to them and my boys have men in our church. Gentlemen, I, I talked you up to our school. I talked you up to my boys' school. I said, my sons have men in our church that are godly examples. And they know my boys' history and they take an interest in their lives. So we got that covered. Don't worry about it. At the same time, my, mom, my hat is off to those moms who have stepped into the void and done their best to raise their children to honor God and fulfill their roles in life and ministry. And when it comes to teaching in many churches, the teaching goes way off topic into generational attitudes or preferences. Make no mistake, in a male-dominated environment, the male opinion and philosophy will be the one that is pushed to the forefront. Any woman want to say amen? Listen, in a male-dominated situation, when men, when men can take over, when men can dominate a situation they're going to, and when it comes to that, and it comes to teaching in some churches, they're going to teach that women just, I, I'll do this in the first service, not the second, because Aaron will be here in the second. Men can clink the ice in their glass. They, they'll teach that they clink the ice in their glass and the woman has to come running with some iced tea. And I'm just giving that as an example. I'm not saying that's the way it should be, so put the daggers away. <laughs> and Mary's back there like, Jonathan, I'm sorry, man. She looks like she's about to shoot you. Woo. That doesn't mean that all teaching is wrong, but what, what it does mean is that many times it's skewered towards male domination rather than cooperation of the sexes and partnership in ministry. And I think if there's, if there's two words I want you to take away and to, to grab onto throughout this series, 
is cooperation and partnership. Okay, cooperation and partnership. Because it is not about, it's not about one being in charge. It's about cooperation and partnering in child raising, in a successful marriage, in, in creating a successful home. As we'll find out in the Bible, God created man and, uh, men and women as equals, and he intended us to be partners in the home, partners in marriage, and partners in child raising. Yes, there are roles for everyone, but no one is tagged by God to be a dictator, a bully, or a tyrant. And likewise, no one is called by God to be a doormat, a slave, or an afterthought in decision-making. I want you ladies to know something. I'm gonna be your biggest cheerleader throughout this series, okay? I, I'm telling you, I'm gonna be rough on, on, on the men. But I believe, the re I believe one of the reasons the church has survived all these years and so many cultural revolutions is because of godly moms. I really believe that. Because godly moms have stayed the course. Listen, I, the first ministry I started when I was down in Seminole, they asked me to start a single adult ministry. It was filled with women. It was filled with single moms. And we connected them with the church. We connected their kids with the children's ministry, with the youth ministry. And those moms were faithful. They, there was one mom, remember, uh, uh, she was from Nixa. She brought all those kids, uh, the junior high, I can't remember her name. She, we, at, at one point, I had to drive a bus to Nixa, Missouri to pick up a bus full of teenagers that this one single mom had influenced to come to church. And she was the single greatest driving force in the growth of my youth ministry. Because those teenagers came to church, accepted Christ as their savior, and got involved. And it was all because of her. Amazing. For some of you, this will be very difficult to hear and very difficult to accept. I understand that. For some of you, this will be revolutionary. For some of you, it will anger you or it will sadden you. That is not my intention. I'm not looking for a fight. But my prayer is that for all of you, this series will make you think about your home life and your marriage and will cause you to take an honest inventory and evaluation of those areas of your life that we talk about your home and your marriage that we talk about. I'm not here to start a war in your home. I'm not here to oversee a family feud. I'm simply wanting to share with our church how the Bible says that a Christian family should function, how it can be effective and prosperous for the kingdom of God. And in this first message, we'll be looking at God's base model for a family. Now changes come in life. Situations and issues come up and they happen. Attitudes change. Sometimes things change and you don't know how it changed. And you're not the one that changed, but you're the one that has to bear the brunt of it. I get that. I get that. I've lived that. The Bible still applies. The Bible still applies. We'll be looking at some of those changes that have come to the family and see how we are to respond to them in life. But that's down the road. The first thing we're going to do is look at the biblical 
God's biblical base model of a functional family. And we will look at number one next week. Okay? I think we've had enough this morning, don't you? I think that we've been uh, pretty thorough about expectations and about where we're going with this. And uh, I will tell you what point number one is for next week. It's actually, I think it's, yeah, it's up on your screen. God created the family in marriage. It is his design. And I'll tell you one other thing I'm going to say about that. Since it's God's design and God, since it's God's design, God gets to define it biblically. We'll pick that up next week. Hope everybody has a smile for me after this. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being in your house today. Lord, it started off with great worship and just amazing worship, Lord. So thankful for a group of people who are committed to serving you and leading us into your presence. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, there are so many voices shouting at us inside and outside of the home and the church, yelling at us from society, telling us what we should do, what we should be. God, many times our role, our purpose as a Christian is to block out the noise and hear your truth. Lord, I know we've, <laughs> you and I talked about this, Lord. This is going to be a tough series for a lot of people. And I'm not, I'm not brazen to that. I'm very sympathetic to that, Father. But I also know that it's truth. It's your word. Father, some people might be hurt by it. It may bring up old feelings of hurt. I pray for them that this series will be healing. Because, Father, in order for us to move forward, we need to heal. And even though our family life that we grew up with may not have been the best, we can put that behind us and we can come to terms with that and determine to be who you've called us to be. Father, I pray for healing in those matters. For some, it's going to be brand new, things that they've never heard or understood. And I pray for understanding and teaching in those. God, for all of us, I pray that this will be a challenge. Lord, I pray right now for single moms who are fighting a battle that is, uh, is difficult. Lift their weary arms up to you. God, would you give them a special blessing? And Lord, we think of our, our dear sister, Emma, right now, literally half a world away. God, would you comfort her heart over the loss of her mom? And Lord, I pray that if it's your will, if it's your plan, that you will work everything out so that Emma can come back and give her mother the farewell that she'd, she'd like to. Bless us as we go from this place. May our lives honor you. May we desire more than anything to serve you with our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.